the idea of um, personhood, it's affected uh, by, by dementia. So one of the things within um, personhood is the uh, capacity to communicate. That's Dr. Mary Shu, researcher at the Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences and adjunct professor at Ontario Tech University. Her work specifically looks at communication, resilience, and skills training in the context of caregiving and dementia. And I'm Sheila Dads. Welcome to Flow, where we discuss the power and the problems of conversation. Welcome in particular to new listeners, as I see a bunch of folks have been joining us for the first time, so hello, and thanks for listening and caring about these topics. Also, don't be shy, go ahead and share Flow with your friends, join the Flow community by following the program, and keep the Flow going two ways, by sharing any ideas, topics, or feedback you may have in the voice message box. Today, Mary and I discuss the life-affirming role conversation has for people living with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, and how these diseases affect their ability to communicate and can contribute to painful isolation. The good news is that while dementia is an irreversible disease, there are a whole host of strategies to help caregivers at every stage of progression. Mary and I go beyond the do's and don'ts to really understand the emotions underlying communication for this population in order to be better able to meet them where they are. We also explore certain creative programs in our cities and our living rooms that can help reinforce personhood and community. Like, who's ever heard of photo voicing before? Not me. If after the show you're wanting to learn more, I'd start with Mary's LinkedIn and check out your local Alzheimer's Society of Canada. Dr. Mary Chu, welcome to Flow. Thank you. It's a pleasure. First of all, I'd like to center on the importance of Alzheimer's and uh, living with dementia in our world today. And one way we can zero in on that is numbers. Um, we're in an aging population. Dementia cases and Alzheimer's cases are on the rise in Canada and across the world, where we have 76,000 new cases a year in Canada, over 10 million uh, across the globe. And in the States, about one in nine people over the age of 65 are developing some form of dementia. So we should care because these cases are more and more the reality for us. For sure. For sure. And, you know, the numbers are shocking, <laughs> first of all. Um, but, you know, behind the shock, I think there is a lot of there are a lot of societal implications. There are also the individual um, impact um, on the families, on relationship, um, on the healthcare system. We were trying to look into different modifiable risk factors uh, so that people can change um, some of the uh, lifestyle uh, risk factors uh, to 
lower the risk uh, of um, experiencing dementia at later life. However, we also have a lot uh, that we, a lot of opportunities actually lie in the way that um, we form relationships um, and work with each other. And I mean, you're an expert, you're a researcher in this area, but it is also true for you, as it's true for me, that this isn't just a professional concern, as uh, we both have uh, family members uh, living with some kind of dementia. Um, in my case, it's my mother. And in your case? It is my grandmother. It's not diagnosed dementia. But then um, she's at this very advanced age of uh, 98, and uh, she has, you know, always uh, lived on her own. And then she has experienced um, uh, some sort of a fall um, and uh, was found wandering uh, on the streets uh, in Hong Kong, which is like miles away from Canada, which was uh, very much um, uh, sad for us. Um, for my father and also, you know, for our family to kind of um, acknowledge that, you yeah. know, we are not able to provide the support uh, for her. Um, but yeah, so like it's there, there is definitely that lived experience of, um, I am not the primary caregiver for my grandmother, but, you know, there is, you know, that um, a lot that has to do with the relationship. Uh, mm -hmm. with my grandmother and the relationship with my father and how we work uh, together um, to bring out, you know, the best uh, of her at this stage, stage of the disease and at this stage of life, right? Yes, so. and it is, it is a stage of life. It is a stage where people are um, still thinking, still feeling, still wanting uh, to do things. And I, I think it's really nice how you just said that so clearly. It's something that sometimes I think is not always phrased in that way. And I, I did want to uh, let you know that, you know, because of my own personal situation, I've been like drawn to any article I find on this. I'm trying to get informed. I'm reading about it. And uh, several months ago, I was reading in the ethicist, ethicist column of the New York Times, uh, a query written by a woman that was titled, my grandmother has Alzheimer's. Do I need to keep visiting her? And I do want to let you know the response before I ask for your comment, um, which I, I'll just say right off the bat really floored me. The response was, it isn't true that you're helping them at like at a late stage. And it goes on to say, quote, it is something akin to tending a grave, something you do in honor of a past you've shared. So how would you respond to that kind of uh, understanding? That is a very powerful sort of uh, image, you know, like, and, and the, the point that I'm holding on is, you know, it is actually an opportunity for us to reflect back on the past relationship and the memories right so like we you know like uh, always look into you know one's um personhood when we're uh, talking about dementia care and you know how do we interact um uh with the person uh living with the dementia 
um, the per the person put is under attack uh, when you think of it. You know, they're slowly they're they're slowly losing their capacity to um, reason, to communicate, you know, to engage in activities that are meaningful for them. Um, and so, you know, as people who are around um, them, you know, as relatives, you know, as a as a granddaughter, you know, I often think about, okay, so my grandmother is is losing all these capacity. However, she is she still has all those memories and all those relationships. And you know, like when you know she took me out to dim sum when I was little. Um, when she, you know, bought, you know, chocolate cookies for me, all those things, you know, and, you know, how she nagged me, Mary, make sure you go physical, um, you know, exercise physically, um, you know, all those lessons and, and all those things, right? So those are the things that you kind of um, have the opportunity to revisit and to see if they can um, be of use to foster you know, a new connection mm -hmm. and possibly, you know, like a new memories mm -hmm. um, when you are speaking about um, those, those, uh, those things. So it's um, almost like you can use these old memories as prompts to help them. That's right. That's right. As a matter of fact, you know, like uh, when we look at um, reminiscence therapy, right, mm -hmm. that's, that's exactly what it is, right? And, you know, sometimes, you know, a picture um, you know, like uh, talking about, um, you know, a vacation uh, that you had uh, together. Remember that time, you know, grandmother, um, we went to, you know, the beach, right? There, there are a lot of beaches in Hong Kong. Or, you know, like we went on dim sum and, you know, like my favorite dish, you know, like you always order my favorite dish for me, um, things like that. And then, and then they'll be like, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> as a matter of fact, you know, like uh, I, I visited her. Uh, my grandmother uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, I, I'm I'm not sure if if it's okay to share this. Um, I would uh, love to hear. It. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. So, like, um, one of the things that um, she, uh, as I said, you know, really valued is um, is uh, physical exercises. Right. Just thought, you know, I, I would ask her. You know, have you moved yourself? You know, have you moved around? Have you exercised today? And um, and the objective reality really is that, you know, she has lost her mobility, she is bed bound, and she is extremely frail. <laughs> but to my question, she, she answered, yeah, I go for my morning walk, like every day. Um, and I do these like um, exercises uh, with my hands and, you know, and I move around. And so I just, I just, you know what, at that point, she just smiled. Um, it is it is actually inaccurate <laughs> that she didn't actually go for a walk. <laughs> um, but you know what? She is really hanging on, you know, like connecting back to that past memory of mm -hmm. when she was able to uh, enjoy. Um, and things know, that walk. were really meaningful for her. And so you're exactly. kind of reactivating. I see that you're reactivating something, whether it's true today or not. It's still true in some kind of sense. Yeah. So in dementia, you actually don't really have that um, uh, kind of knowledge of time, you know, like it's, it's, you know, all mixed up, 
But you know that's that's the creative part of you know interacting and, and communicating communicating with uh, someone with uh, cognitive impairment and dementia is that you know what time is not important. Mm -hmm. It is really you know like a what what they hold on as their fond memories uh, and what they value and like, what is still part of their personhood. I like how you frame that like time is not important and that would require quite a shift I think for many of us. Um, to let that go and to enter in, as you say, creatively to a new way of exchange. Before we go more, and I really am excited to learn more from you today about some of the better ways to, to proceed um, in conversation uh, with people living with Alzheimer's or other kinds of dementia, I want to dwell a little bit more on one of the, the realities when people maybe are a bit afraid of engaging. Maybe they don't know how, they're a bit afraid. And that can result in fact in isolation of the person. And I was, I was uh, looking at the video, the Alzheimer's journey. And mm -hmm. that isolation, that lack of communication was identified as perhaps one of the most difficult aspects of this whole process. What have you found uh, about that in your in your research it is it can be quite um alarming when you are first interacting with this population right so like um people living with dementia um they do have um uh, the disease itself is causing um cognitive changes um, that would link to some expressive behaviors that are not necessarily reflective of, you know, what is the, the cues and the environment and et cetera, et cetera. So when we talk about expressive behaviors, it can be, um, you know, like a trigger that causes um, irritation. You know, someone can get really aggressive uh, all of a sudden. And or, you know, like there are repeated questions and, you know, they are, you know, started wandering and get getting lost. Right. So these are some of uh, what we call, you know, um, we used to call them behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. But really, it's, you know, an expressed um, kind of expression of um, what they are thinking. And it's as a matter of fact that is, um, you know, facing these sort of expressed, uh, expressive behaviors contribute to a lot of uh, caregiver burden. There is a misunderstanding um, of, you know, where that is coming from, uh, a lack of knowledge uh, to um, manage or to kind of interact with that uh, behavior. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I really admire, you know, like uh, your uh, desire and, and your curiosity to kind of find out more, right? Like, and, and, and be able to um, learn that it is not actually you, the caregiver, or, you know, like uh, the healthcare provider, but rather, you know, it is because of the disease that is causing these um, uh, behaviors. So like, in the healthcare professional uh, or like healthcare um, realm of things, uh, we do have uh, structured methods or methodology on approaches um, uh, to help 
um, healthcare providers to provide um, care uh, to people living with dementia who have expressive behaviors uh, in, in, a, in a safe manner, mm-hmm. right? Both safe to them, uh, you know, the healthcare providers themselves, and also to the person living with dementia. Some of those behaviors you've described uh, to me sound on on the more extreme side of some of the manifestations, at least that I've I've been exposed to so far um, in terms of aggression, at least. And I could understand why that would be a bit upsetting uh, and difficult to deal with uh, for people. And you've also mentioned already, I think you've been kind of uh, going around uh, redefining, I think, what are some of the ideas we have around Alzheimer's and dementia. I've, I've been hearing you mention things like, you know, a more general cognitive impairment. And maybe we should just hit that head on right now, um, because I think misconceptions can help, um, can hurt us in that they take us away from understanding and, and having the proper expectations as this uh, as this condition progresses. So um, how would you define dementia? And what are like the, the the biggest misconceptions that you would like to like disabuse right now? Good question. Um, so there are a lot of different scientific ways of um, looking at uh, dementia, um, but I'm just going to try and uh, stay it, state it in very simple terms. It is a disease of brain to the brain characterized by um, an impaired ability to um, remember, um, to think um, critically, and to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And the the you know the impairment actually would uh, impact negatively impact uh, an individual um, uh, way of leading their life, right? So doing everyday activities. And, you know, like interacting and, and uh, forming relationship, like I said previously. And so a lot of ways um, they need support mm-hmm. um, to continue, um, you know, living, living a life that is of um, good quality, mm-hmm. right? And you, you remind me a little bit of a, of, a, of a talk I had a couple of months ago with uh, Shane O'Mara, who's a professor of neuroscience, who was also talking about how memory or the lack of memory in any population also impedes exactly what you're saying. It impedes thought, it impedes projecting into the future um, and, and therefore building relationships. So the, the scope is actually quite a bit wider uh, than I think maybe is commonly referred to. That's right. Um, dementia is not only, you know, like I, I just wanted to point out that it's not only the loss of memory, right? Like, so sometimes, you know, like we're unable, uh, we, we think of, you know, um, in general, dementia is um, uh, the inability to form short-term memory. But then, you know, like, you know, in the example of my grandmother, you know, like uh, some of the longer-term memories um, are actually staying intact. Um, and on top of the um, uh, memory loss uh, sometimes, or, you know, the, the inability to form short-term memory, there is also the, um, uh, the loss in the capacity to, uh, to think critically and the, the use of words, uh, for example. Uh, so it's an, it's an interaction of, you know, uh, the memory loss, impairment, and the cognitive impairment and the cognitive abilities that's causing the person to, um, 
to have a loss um, uh, in their identity or like relating or communicating, you know, their needs and their, you know, their personhood, expressing their personhood. Um, and, and, and that is, and, and as I said in the beginning, at the beginning of this um, chat is that, you know, like it, that, I think that that's the crux of it. Um, and how do we uh, help an individual whose personhood is under attack? I mean, there's that's just so deep. And I think there's two things I want to focus on. One is the loss, but I'd like to put that on pause just for a moment. I think this really needs to be, you know, dealt with uh, more deeply because it's it's so relevant. But also the stigma I think felt by people and maybe projected by people uh, when they see others where they're losing these markers of their identity, like you suggested. And yet, right, it is really important uh, to talk openly about this disease. If if I broke my leg or I had cancer, I would be talking openly about it. It's a it's a physical disease that affects, as you said, the brain. And um, I feel that when many people, when a common response is to minimize or deny what's happening by by saying things, well, it's just normal to forget things once in a while, or perhaps even a bit more sadly, uh, saying, well, I'm not stupid, um, when no one was suggesting that. And yet I think that's um, an internalized uh, feeling. So how how can we deal with this shame? And, and really, how does this shame do a disservice to everyone? So you touch on, you know, like a, a couple of uh, concepts, I guess, you know, like a, there is the stigma, right? So like, um, you know, when, when the, um, the awareness of, you know, the, um, there's a lack, when there's a lack of awareness um, in terms of the um, impact on the, um, on the person um, living with dementia, um, then there is, there is a, a or like a misunderstanding, right? Um, that actually caused um, stigma, right? Like it's kind of like a disconnecting force, right? So like I don't, I don't understand, and I do not want to understand. And then so you know that kind of exacerbate um, the isolation that the person living with dementia, and also you know like um, the person who is trying to you know, care for this. Yeah, both, both people can be isolated. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that actually is, uh, is uh, something that, you know, um, I, I think a lot of um, researchers have started looking into, right, social isolation, how do we combat uh, social, social isolation, um, you know, like in caregivers, and also in person living with dementia. Um, and the, um, I have heard so many times, um, that, um, caregivers, they don't actually, um, like to talk about, um, their issues with, uh, their friends, um, or, you know, like even with their family members, because I don't feel understood. I don't think I was heard, um, you know, like I, I don't think, you know, people understand the situation that I am in, right? So one of the things that the public, you know, like um, that we can do better as a, as a collective, if you would, um, is that there needs to be more, you know, public awareness about 
you know, what the disease is actually doing. Um, and once that is kind of, you know, out there and we have built that foundation um, for people to kind of figure out, okay, so how do I actually know how to support, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, it's true that if, when you know how to do something, when it's more obvious, you, 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 well, you feel more empowered to do it. You, you, you're not going to shy away. I want to talk also about that though, what people living with dementia may need. And you were talking about your grandmother who's undiagnosed as is my mother. Um, though I, I feel the signs are quite clear. Um, and that conversation to have with someone to say, I think it would be a good idea to have a diagnosis. Are there any guidelines you could give anyone listening to help make that a little easier? For sure. So like one of the things, um, especially for people who may be, um, you know, uh, at the earlier stages of, uh, um, you know, uh, the, the disease itself, they still have the ability to make decisions. And I think from, you know, that point of view, we need to let the decision-making be resting, you know, like the, the actual decision-making is going to be by them. Okay. And we taking on, you know, like a, if we enter a, a, a conversation with that perspective, it may be easier on, you know, you know, saying things. And one of the ways um, that uh, we um, commonly used, at, at least for myself, is compassionate or nonviolent communication. Mm -hmm. So in this kind of um, uh, structure of communication, you are um, staying away from, you know, uh, making judgment. Mm -hmm. But rather, you would start with what you are observing, and how does that make you feel? Mm -hmm. um, and then it's a co collaboration or a co-design effort uh, with, you know, your your mother to think of ways that you know, like uh, we can move forward together, and how can you support? Right. I hear you, and so you start from your own perspective about yourself. And stay away from directives and let Ooh. them speak from their own uh, their own place and their own understanding. And the way you're phrasing that just clearly under underscores their dignity, their dignity as a person to make those decisions. That's right. That's right. So, you know, like uh, sometimes, you know, you know, it is the right thing to get, you know, to get the diagnosis, you know. Yeah, sure, because um, it opens up a lot of doors for all kinds of assistance. That's right. But is it the right thing for her? At that time. Mm -hmm. At that time, right? So it's, it's you know, like uh, the other aspect uh, in any sort of communication is um, treating it as a journey. It's not a, you know, one and done conversation. Um, and, you know, be be patient with yourself and be patient with your mother mm -hmm. because she is also doing a lot of learning and unlearning. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and she, she's aware of the changes that are happening. She's scared and, and she is in the process of adapting and adjusting as well, uh, as well. 
herself. Which, which is very difficult, I think, for everyone uh, to be in this constant progress uh, process of of adapting. Um, That's right. And I can imagine in in a in a state where you're feeling more vulnerable, it is probably a little bit uh, more scary too. That's right. That's right. So with that kind of understanding and pers perspective, it's it's kind of you know respecting her for who she is, what she is capable of, and you know, and being able to support uh, her in that mm -hmm. stage. So I do want to move. I think that's a really big conversation, and uh, as as well as people can manage at any given point, both people involved. Um, I wish everyone luck. Anyone who is uh, dealing with that, and you know, careful um, kind of thought behind that. But there are lots of other conversations, daily conversations that uh, we have that are also extremely important. And before we even open our mouths to somebody uh, who is living with dementia we have our attitudes <laughs> and the words that we commonly use to describe uh, this disease or people uh, living with it actually can affect our attitudes. And so as one of my earlier guests, Hasan Moon, and one of my more recent guests also, again, Shane O'Mara, have both said our words shape our worlds and they definitely have an impact on our conversations. So if I could ask you to talk a bit about this person-centered terminology that's being advocated now uh, to uh, show and convey as much respect and dignity. You're right. Definitely. You know, like um, words really shape, you know, like our world and how we perceive our world. Um, and, you know, we who are, you know, like interacting um, with uh, someone with dementia, like how do we respect uh, them and use words that are appropriate? Um, so, especially in, in, in describing, because I think it sets up the way we think, you know, when we talk about it, when they're not even in the room, you know? Exactly. So I used to, I used to be, you know, like I'm working in a, in a clinic um, where we see a lot of uh, families living with uh, dementia. And one of the things that, um, you know, like back in the days, you know, like uh, that we're, we are very careless of is we may use words like that demented person. Yeah. That demented patient. Right. So like it's it's a it's it it is a very negative connotation that's, you know, assigned. to. This oh, yeah. It, it sounds like even like a, a bat coming down. It sounds so <laughs> harsh. Yeah. So I have been in this field for quite some time and it has definitely evolved. And even in 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 Cantonese, um, you know, it's elderly um, craziness. Right. So like would you like to say that also in Cantonese for our listeners? Yeah, so so in Cantonese it used to be called Lo Yang, as in elderly. So like um T is craziness, hmm. right? Oi is you know like affect affectless, right? So so dismissive. It is very dismissive, right? So when so like you know. Thank goodness um, we have really moved away from those 
uh, the way uh, uh, that we relate and you know label um, uh, this uh, population and be able to use more um, dignified yeah. um, terms. Um, I actually really like, you know, people who are living with the condition, mm -hmm. right? Um, they don't have control over it. It's not like they will themselves into dementia, right? So, but they are living with dementia and that in itself is helping us relate to this person a little better. Mm -hmm. So if someone is living with something, how are we going to um, change the way that we you know, help them and support them to love them, respect them? And to have that quality of life, that emphasis is really on living and on their life. That's right, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes hard to 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 think of. Uh, I mean, I, I I sometimes find myself saying maybe a patient or someone even who's suffering and which has uh, less of a negative connotation than your first example, but still uh, renders the disease to have too much place, I think, in the sort of fullness of life of, of someone um, who is living Um uh, with this this uh, particular adversity. yeah adversity, I want to continue now looking at the stages of dementia because you've already mentioned some things from the later stages, some things from the earlier stages, and if I could just say that sometimes when I'm looking at lists, there's like do's and don'ts, and the don'ts always seem to be really big, <laughs> and I, I I wondered sometimes if that's because in our regular conversation. Uh, there's so many things, almost habits of speech that we need to kind of shake off that they mm -hmm. just aren't suited anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so if I could ask you maybe to to talk us through a couple of the big do's and don'ts for someone who's really in an early stage of dementia. You know, don't assume anything, right? Don't assume, don't make assumptions. Um, about, you know, like uh, what they can, um, you know, communicate or th they can reason through. Um, it's, it's a little bit of an of a, um, uh, exercise for, you know, both the caregiver or the care partner um, and also, uh, you know, the person living with dementia and just learning and unlearning, you know, like uh, some of the um, existing maps that we have uh, to relate to each other. So don't right. assume, so, but continue to engage, to learn yourself, to 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 be open to that constant back and forth of learning. That's correct. Mm. Um, uh, that I I don't know where I heard about this, but um, you know, always you know, always remain um to always have a teachable spirit, right? So like it is very important to um to realize that everyone in our life um has something to teach us. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is, that That's is so an important thing, um, in the, in, especially, you know, like at, at the, um, uh, early stages mm -hmm. is because this is where some of the changes are so subtle and yet, um, it is already, uh, manifested and you can yeah. witness it. You can experience it. You can see it. It's the beginning of, um, some of the other, um, changes and bigger changes. And the idea um, of being open to uh, these interactions as like a teachable, a teachable experience for you as a, a caregiver, 
I think also puts you in a position where you're being more humble. And in in some ways, that makes it a bit easier. I mean, you're there, you, you don't have to be right, you don't have to know things, you can be learning, you can be engaged and have that other person um, continue to to teach you. And I, I like, you. I like yeah. that connotation. Yeah, yeah. So like be a student. Um, and you know, like, a and, and that way, you know, you will have all those qualities that you just mentioned, you know, like, a, you, you're here to learn. Um, and, and they are here to kind of, you know, learn how to adjust as well. So, you know, back to your question is, you know, don't, I guess, you know, the first stage is, you know, early stages, um, just don't make assumptions, um, mm -hmm. and, and don't, um, don't isolate yourself mm -hmm. or, um, the person with dementia, always stay with them. Yeah. Um, in in a in a conversation, you know, like a, with a bigger group um, of of people, always being able to acknowledge um, the person um, who may be experiencing some changes, um, and use names um, when you are addressing, um, you know, this person. Use their name and ask them a question after you have addressed them mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, or say something after you, you know, like you have addressed them. And why and is that important? The use of their own name. This is the first thing that uh, you are um, hearing, um, you know, when you're born, hmm. um, you are given a name. Um, and that is always going to, um, you know, be attached to an identity. Hmm. So it reaffirms um, something you might even feel or fear you're losing a bit. Mm. That's right. So simple, so simple. And yet I, I, I can see the impact. I want to share with you too something I have difficulty with, and I don't know what your feelings are. So I definitely want to hear that. Uh, I've, yeah. been, I've been reading and hearing that um, it's, it's best not to correct someone um, if they're making, and you, you sort of, I think, touched about that when your grandmother mixed up her times when she was uh, saying that she was walking earlier that day and keeping up with her exercise routine when she no longer even physically could. And that is a little tricky sometimes, I think, to manage, uh, especially me, I'm a teacher, so I'm constantly correcting. But what I find the most difficult is, is um, not correcting when someone is feeling sad by their misremembered thought. And I'll just give an example to help illustrate that uh, for you and your listeners. So uh, if someone, for example, is feeling lonely uh, because um, a friend or a family member they're, they're saying hasn't visited for a long time and they're feeling lonely. And meanwhile, that person is right there, but has just gone to the bathroom. Mm. And you don't, you don't want to say no, um, well, they're here, and yet you don't want them to be sad. Mm -hmm. So what is the important thing to acknowledge and validate at this, at this situation? I think their feelings. Very good. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it. Bingo, bingo. Um, that's what we wanted to connect with. Connect. Is that, you know, like, um, it's be mindful of, you know, what, that person is actually feeling at that moment and that is the opportunity to connect 
not the other thing you know not their memories not their you know like you know what how they're wrong right imagine if you were to you know correct them and then they keep on saying no and it's just going to arouse that um defensive mechanism if you know what i mean which doesn't actually connect right so communication is about connection and relationship building those are the two things that I really think communication is about. And, and go ahead. I was just <laughs> going to say, you mentioned again, loss. And I think um, we've mentioned it a lot now. And I would like to to honor that because there you've mentioned so many things that are lost. The sense of personhood, a sense of control, uh, sometimes even the ability to speak at later stages, words, sometimes a social circle if they're feeling isolated. Um when someone is experiencing this kind of sadness, which is um, a fully lived grief, I'd say, mm-hmm. how would we best support that uh, in addition to acknowledging it? So what are some examples of grief you know, or loss? you know, when we, when we are, when we are experiencing dementia. So the, the loss of, um, you know, the ability to express their needs, um, the ability to use words, um, the ability to um, actually perceive something um, in a way um, that is, proportional to whatever is or appropriate to what is um, the, the the external cues right um, this is a big one uh, that's why I'm like fully thinking here I appreciate um, that the the grief itself is is um, is is something that we cannot change or take away and so you know it's not about fixing you know the grief the grief is there to stay and how do we be empathic Mm -hmm. and and perhaps honor it rather than trying to resolve it correct and it's a lot of times um, when I when I think of empathy, I I think of this. Um, I don't know if uh, listeners can also um, maybe search it up. Um, there is this um, uh, video when Brené Brown uh, was talking about empathy, and then there is an animation where she showed, you know, like um, I think it was a deer who was like, you know, really sad about something. Um, and the deer was, you know, sitting at the bottom of a, of a hole. Um, so someone, you know, like, you know, kind of just like, you know, lean over at the, at the top and yell at him, are you okay? Can you get out? Are you going to get out? Can I help? What? Well, that's, you know, the, the, the deer is just kind of like, well, I am really sad. I'm not going to get out, right? So 
another animal, I don't remember what it is exactly, I'm so sorry, went down the hole and sit with the deer. And that's that idea of companionship and presence. Yes. And that is that is what I think um, a person experiencing dementia and all of this loss mm -hmm. um, and changes, um, they're experiencing it. And sometimes all they need is, you know, like uh, you being there with them and the companionship and the, um, uh, you know, like showing empathy that way. You make me think of, I was reading that Harvard study, The Good Life by Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz about pain recently, physical pain, but here mm. we're talking about uh, psychological pain. Mm. Uh, and they were saying just having someone hold your hand, mm. uh, someone you love, actually does reduce your perception of pain. And um, it might be something that we all could do and maybe ask for even a little um, more. And you've talked about presence and being there and just that physical sharing. Um, and there are some difficulties in conversation, uh, the, 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 the trouble in finding words, sometimes forming sentences that happens more at the later stages. And I was wondering if, circumventing uh, language oriented types of activities and moving more to some kind of leisure activity together as a way to connect, as a way to still uh, communicate. Um, how, how, how did, what do you think about like that, like moving to more leisure physical activities? I think we all have seen pictures of, you know, people living with dementia who is like playing a whole Beethoven sonata um, or, you know, like um, just going wild, you know, on the on a Canva um, and and painting, you know, like uh, all kinds of pictures and, and all that. Right. So those sort of um, abilities, sometimes it, it, it is still there. Yeah. Um, and how do we encourage um, individuals? How do we encourage them to to reach how, those creative and other? So it's a little bit of a detective work uh, sometimes, especially if we are not, you know, like um, uh, the family or the friend uh, caregiver. Because as family caregiver, um, you know, like I know my grandmother, what she likes, what she values, what she's good at, um, you know, when you know, before uh, she was, uh, she had this condition. Um, so it's kind of, you know, easy to leverage uh, those things. And, and you know, those things will bring her joy. And those things is where she find her, you know, like a, a connection to her personhood still. And so you encourage those things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that is the reason why, you know, in healthcare, um, we always work with the caregiver to kind of understand, you know, the past history, attachment styles, you know, how, what gives meaning um, to, uh, to this uh, individual. You know, the, the rec therapist here um, at, uh, at where I work, you know, again, those, they, they are very creative and it's a co-design process. Um, you know, every single person um, 
you know, coming into uh, uh, on the unit, for example, will have a care plan. And that care plan is not only medication or whatever, but there is, you know, like a, um, a recovery plan um, in terms of, you know, like what are their social um, uh, interests, what are their um, uh, passion, what are their strengths, um, are there anything that, what are their preferences and likes and, you know, in food, in art, in, you know, music, in any sort of um, uh, recreational um, uh, uh, endeavors. Um, and that is very important to support the person as the whole person, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And and dementia sometimes it's 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 sad because it is irreversible. Yeah. What is reversible, or you know, what can be maintained or sustained, however really are all those things that we just talked about. And you use the word recovery, like to recover them, that that, that there's still, some of them are going to still be there to to be brought and, and integrated back in if we can find, if we spend the that's, time uh, that's to right. find a way. That's right. Yeah. We're already now moving more specifically to caregivers, which uh, I'm so happy about because it is, I know, uh, a major focus of your research and you mentioned the more formal caregivers, and I'd like now to talk about the more informal caregivers, family members, and people at home. And these people are often, I think, forgotten a bit, while the person living with dementia whose needs seem more urgent um, get uh, the, the uh, more attention. And I'm sure you, you've seen as well that informal caregivers tend to also forget themselves. And I just wanted to put that into perspective for people a little bit, that in Canada right now, about 61% of people with dementia are living at home. And that means that's a huge number of people who are in these informal uh, roles. So how can we, as a community of people around uh, caregivers, how can we support them uh, in our uh, language, our conversations, what would you say is the first thing we, we, we ought to do? I think for caregivers, um, first of all, they are um, their families. They don't see themselves. Sometimes they don't actually see themselves as caregivers. And that's why they, you know, like uh, they don't necessarily identify themselves for needing help. Or needing support. Right, because right? you don't need help to be a husband or to be a daughter. Right. Um, so I think, and, and you mentioned it, you know, like uh, the attention most of the time is on the person with the condition, living with the condition. And so caregivers are almost like shadow patients. Mm, yeah. Um, and why don't we bring them out of the shadow and don't call them patients, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, bring them out of the shadow, um, acknowledging the work that they are doing. Um, these are, this is, this is work, right? But it's, it's labor of love. Yeah. But how do we acknowledge that uh, first? Mm -hmm. And then 
after we do that, we can say to them, look, thank you for all the work that you're doing. Would like to support, you know, like um, you do it more effectively. And these are some of the uh, programs or interventions or, you know, like um, uh, resources that you can tap into. So to really help outline what might be other kinds of help available is a big help is just on a logistical level, because it's more than being in a relationship with someone. Um, as you say, there's a lot of work. And I was paying very close attention to how you phrase that to learn from example. And you were phrasing that as a labor of love, as as work um, and effort. And you didn't use the word burden. And I thought that was quite wonderful because often when we perceive as things as a burden, again, we're missing out on all of the other uh, advantages, the exchange with that loved one that is so meaningful also for someone who is in that caring role. Um, and I think it's it's really uh, important to frame it how you're doing. Obviously, you know how. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, you know, like it's, it, it comes from the fact that, you know, my, my you know, kind of research um, is really looking into burden, but, but, but the but more and more, I look at it as it's exactly what you said, right? Like if it is, um, there is the hard part and the challenges that comes with the role. However, there, is, there are also, you know, like don't let all those challenges kind of blind you to what are the opportunities. Time is ticking and I'm quite aware. So I'd like to talk about some of the specific uh, things that uh, we're living here in Canada. And one of the things we have in, in Canada, like many countries today, I don't want to say it's it's exclusive to us, is that we have just so many people from so many backgrounds. Um, what would you say is one of the like main things that we can do uh, that would help everybody in Canada, no matter their cultural background, uh, that we should be doing as, as a country? Is that too big? I actually like that question. Um, I don't know if it's too late in the program to also let you know, um, I am um, a piano teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of my work um, uh, here um, at, the, at the hospital, um, I do teach, you know, like uh, little kids. And, um, and one of the th things about music um, and art it's it's in it doesn't it it transcends <laughs> you know like our languages and and you know like our words and and mm -hmm. all that so i think there can be so much opportunity to kind of dive into art-based um kind of programs and therapies um mm -hmm. and that will actually allow for people to communicate and to connect right um and to build relationship you know all those things wonderful things sort of um, like outside also their cultural communities that's right hmm. as a matter of fact um i um i i became a, a, a toronto symphony orchestra's uh, subscriber uh, last year and then i noticed uh, they are starting to actually um have these 
concerts that are um, designed uh, for people living with, um, you know, do, um, different uh, neural um, uh, diversity and um, including uh, people living with dementia, right? So like these are shorter programs and, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, they are um, smaller groups, um, you know, they have, they sell uh, uh, less tickets and a more intimate setting um, to allow people to enjoy and connect um, with, uh, with music and, and letting music kind of touch their soul. It's just a tremendous uh, example that it brings them in, into a shared community. Uh, with, with, uh, to enjoy this experience with 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 uh, a collective, which I think we all as human beings, you know, being social animals, that's always important. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it's a great opportunity for I wish my grandmother is here. <laughs> I, and I think, you know, it, it is it can be applied nationwide, you know, uh, these sort of um, programs. Um, and, you know, art museum, you know, like uh, having a time that is specifically, um, uh, you know, booked, right? Because uh, one of the things about, you know, living with dementia is uh, it, it can be hard to process, you know, all the external cues and, you know, if it's like a packed environment. Yeah, you know, and so and, you might actually avoid some of these settings. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, having these specialized uh, programs uh, will allow people to, you know, feel connected with their society. And also, you know, it's an opportunity for, you know, family members to kind of connect um, through these activities. Right. Another aspect of our Canadian life uh, is that there are many uh, people who are living far away. So when we come from all, you know, so many uh, diverse backgrounds, but on the other hand, it's a big country. People move away, people uh, have uh, their family uh, all over the place. And so, so many people are not in the situation to be a primary caregiver there, caregiver there on the spot. And distance, I, I want to call it a long distance care, uh, not remote. I want to stay away from remote because it sounds cold, but long distance care uh, can still be meaningful. And if you could maybe, Tell us like one or two things that you've learned either professionally or personally that just work, that help connect even over these, these great distances. Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Zoom. <laughs> um, and one of the things is, um, you know, that's, that's actually one of the uh, things that I wish I could have done um, earlier. Uh, with my grandmother um, is uh, the connecting with the visual. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, you know, like a phone call, uh, you can't, you know, really interpret too much, you know, like from the tone and the and the words and and all that. But you know, like uh, with the with the facial expression and um, you know all that colors, the people that are on the screen, um, that actually can really enhance. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I have been looking into um, a concept or, you know, like a, this, uh, um, it's, a, it's a research methodology, but um, it's photo poisoning. So what it is uh, really is 
you know, encouraging, um, you know, like a, an exchange um, of uh, narratives through taking a picture. Um, so a way of uh, doing it is it's 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 done in you know like a for caregiver for example so like you know caregivers um, can actually um, take a picture um, a normal picture you know it can be a picture of my phone or you know like a, it can be a picture of my um, uh, water bottle but at that point at that time you know this water bottle means something and I ex I try to ex explain and you know like kind of express that meaning with the words. And so like there is a picture with a with a ca caption uh, of some sort. In both you instances, know, like using visuals as, as yeah. much as we can. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And encouraging, um, you know, the, the dialogue, right, like uh, to be to be happening through pictures, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, one of the things that uh, um, uh, Dr. Hazen Moon was talking about, um, was dialogue it's a it's a flow of uh, words um and ideas and truths um and that can actually be done in visuals i i am a very visual learner <laughs> myself <laughs> but i get a lot of cues and information from seeing um and sometimes you know like a poor person living with dementia that may be what's you know like a left for them mm -hmm. To end, uh, Mary, what is the one thing that you'd like our listeners to take home from our, our talk and this topic today? I think we are all learning or yearning um, to love and to be loved. Um, and a lot of that, um, you know, like, uh, you know, expressing you know, what our needs uh, would be um, is really effective. Um, and that is also affecting, you know, the way that the person living in, the, in dementia, with dementia, um, is loved. But the need to be loved doesn't go away. Um, so I would say, you know, like uh, the biggest thing is Knowing that, you know, um, uh, someone living with dementia um, still has a person inside them and they um, require, you know, like our um, support to understand what they need to feel loved. Dr. Mary Chu, I want to thank you for really touching my heart and teaching me and I hope my listeners how to uh look at this phase that i think many of us are going to be living through thank you so much Sheila. that was mary shu from the ontario shore center for mental health sciences my thanks to glenn etty for original music to caitlin may wong and jonathan zituni on violin and piano and Rebecca Akone for editing. I'm Sheila Daz, your host. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to follow us to stay in the flow. <laughs>